Uh, what a, you couldn't pick a more exciting focus for the summer than the resurrection of Christ. It's just, man, it's awesome. Because think about it. When is the last time that you spent all week, like a full week, thinking about the resurrection of Christ? Because we don't, we don't ever do that, right? I've never done that before this week. Focused on a whole week just on the resurrection of Christ from the dead. You know, I, I think for a lot of us, like, the resurrection, it, it isn't an afterthought, but that's almost the way it comes across. Like, when we're talking about the story of Christ, and we talk about Him being born from a virgin and living a sinless life and talk about him dying on the cross. And that's about it for the story. And then sometimes we'll tag on, oh yeah, and then he raised from the dead. You know, it seems like an afterthought because even, even like, you know, Easter can sneak up on you, you know, sometimes, you know, you think, oh, is this week Easter? Is next week Easter? You know, when it's about that time, you think, what, what day is Easter? Is it like one of those like that rotates days on the couch? Which, which, which day is Easter? You know, but you never forget something like Christmas, right? You're never like, is this week, is this week Christmas? You know, everybody knows Christmas. And we make such a huge deal about Christmas, as we should. I love Christmas. I love it. I'm, I'm one of those nerds that, like, I get into all the traditions. Like, our family always had traditions growing up for Christmas where, I mean, you, I mean, you start getting ready way, way, way in advance for Christmas. Although, I don't do the thing like Lowe's does, you know, the store Lowe's, where they start putting out Christmas decor and, like, now, like in the summer or whatever, like it'd be pre-Halloween and you walk in there and see jack-o'-lanterns and Santa and you're like, no, this isn't right, you know? For me, I think you shouldn't decorate for one holiday until the last one's over, right? So like, it should be like, everything's Halloween stuff, then done, then everything's Thanksgiving stuff, then done, and then everything's Christmas stuff, right? That's, well, my opinion. But like, we get really excited about Christmas and, you know, hopefully you do too, you know, cause it's, it's the birth of Christ. I mean, it's awesome. It's exciting. Right. And so we do traditions like, uh, that I didn't know were weird until I got into college. Like every Christmas Eve, we, um, we eat Chinese food as a family. It's, I think it's because of the movie Christmas story. I'm not positive, but, uh, since I was a little kid, every Christmas Eve, we eat Chinese food and get, I mean, it's awesome. Go to a candlelight service at the church I grew up in, things like that. We have a, a cool Christmas service here at Red Oak Church. And man, it's, I love Christmas and hopefully y'all do too, you know, love giving gifts and things like that. And you know, you think for months out, man, what, well, some of you guys don't, especially middle school boys, you think for minutes out, what am I going to get my dad? You know, and like the, the first time I went to my wife's family's house for Christmas was really strange. Uh, when you, when you get married, you realize like Christmas and all that kind of changes a good bit. But, uh, I went to Amy's house for Christmas and I, nobody told me that her grandmother was a really, really bad gift giver. And they just let me stumble in on it. And so like I show up at her house, you know, we're, we're newly married. We're gonna have Christmas together at her house. And so then we're all opening presents. Everybody's excited. And you know, you spend a long time getting ready for this. And then, uh, <clears throat> We started to open presents from her grandmother and Amy's brother. Amy's my wife. Her brother goes first. And she opens his present from Granny, like all excited. And she opens, or he opens it up. And it's like this old shirt that kind of smells a little bit. And it's got a hole like right here in the pocket, you know. And I'm thinking, oh, that's interesting. Like, yeah. Uh, maybe she's maybe she and him have like this vintage clothes thing going on. Like I thought, oh, this is kind of strange. And so then my turn came, and it was like, all right, I get a gift from Granny, you know. And I start opening it up, and when I opened up this thing, it was—I'm not joking—it was a jar of pickles, and 
and not the homemade, like, you know, I made these, it's really special. It was a jar of like grocery store pickles. And I was like, thanks, this is good with a sandwich, you know, and like I, and then the best one was Amy's sister. She opened up her present, a real small present like this. And she opened up her present and she pulled out one yellow kitchen sponge. And then she squeezed it and water dripped out. And it was dawning on me. I was thinking, oh, I see what you've done here. It was this morning. You were like, oh, shoot. Oh, grab a shirt. Grab, grab something. I'm going to go in the fridge and see what I got. Ah, pickles. Great. You know, she's like wrapping things up last minute. And then a wet kitchen sponge was like the climax of all of her present given. I mean, it's awesome. Well, hopefully you put more thought into it. You know, like for Christmas, man, you, uh, most of you, you know, you kind of radio stations change around Christmas. Clothing changes around Christmas. We do everything building up to the birth of Christ. But what's crazy is Jesus never asked us to remember his birth, right? He asked us to remember his death. And for us, a lot of times, like Easter or resurrection is is just an afterthought. You know, it's something we think about on Easter Sunday when the pastor's preaching. That's about it. You know, even, uh, did y'all see that movie, uh, The Passion of the Christ? It came out a long time ago, I think 2004 or five or something like that. Yeah, it's an awesome movie. It's great. Uh, it's wonderful. And I was thinking about that movie not too long ago, and I thought, do they talk about the resurrection? Do they show the resurrection? And they do. They actually have a really cool scene about the resurrection. Do y'all remember it? It's like, uh, you know, the movie's like two hours and something long, but at the end, it shows like you're inside the tomb. It's a pretty cool scene. You're inside the tomb, and you can hear the stone kind of rolling shut and everything's going dark, 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 boom. And then it starts getting light, 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 light. It's really cool. And then you see Jesus sitting there and then he opens his eyes and the music's building and he starts walking out of the tomb and he's got a hole in his hand. You can see through it. Oh, oh, I missed the the best part. Like as it pans over, as everything's getting dark, like the clothes that he's wrapped in are laying there on the, on the slab. And all of a sudden they go, like this and just kind of deflate and then he's gone and then he walks out with his hand i was just like woohoo that is so awesome that is so exciting that 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 scene of the resurrection you know how long that scene is 36 seconds the movie's like two and a half hours long and there's nothing wrong with that you know you can't make a two and a half hour long movie about somebody raising from the dead but i just thought that's interesting because really for the most part that's how we talk about the resurrection is christ's death important Absolutely crucial. Is Christ's sinlessness important? Absolutely crucial. Is his resurrection important? Absolutely. Let me ask you this. What if Christ didn't raise from the dead? Would it still work? Uh, Think about it. Think about what if somehow, what if somehow science discovered the bones of Jesus and they were legitimately the bones of Jesus. They could tell this is for sure the bones of Jesus. Would you still believe Would you still put your faith and hope in Christ? It's an important question, right? What if the resurrection never happened? Would would Christianity, would forgiveness still work? Well, Paul addresses that question. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, that's where we're going to be. Man, this is the longest, best chapter about the resurrection of Christ, where Paul kind of breaks it down for a full chapter, talking about different things about the resurrection. But one of the things he's addressing here in this passage is he's addressing the importance of the resurrection. And he's saying, what if it never happened? 
What would happen to us if it never happened? Because there were some people in this church, apparently, that were saying, people can't really raise from the dead. And Paul's saying, really? You're saying people don't raise from the dead, so that means Jesus didn't raise from the dead. And then what happens if Jesus didn't raise from the dead? So let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. It'll be on the screen, but uh, if you've got a Bible, you can turn there too. Uh, In the first verse, he starts out kind of changing subjects. And he said, all right, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel. And then he starts talking about the death and the burial and mainly about the resurrection of Christ. I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then in verse 3 he says, Because I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. And then he goes on to tell us all about, and then look, he appeared to Peter. He appeared to the 12. He appeared to 500 at one time. He appeared to James. He appeared to me. And then he starts addressing this problem. And he's like, but there's a problem here because what you're saying is that Christ didn't raise from the dead. Look at verse 12 and 13. He says, now, If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection from the dead? Because if there's no resurrection from the dead, not even Christ has been raised. Say, man, how can some of you guys say that that Jesus didn't raise from the dead? Or that that there's no resurrection from the dead? Because if that's true, then Jesus didn't raise from the dead. And then he gives the importance of it. And I'm going to read it and then we'll break it down. Verse 14. Oh, let's go back to verse 13. But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he didn't raise if it's true that the dead aren't raised. If the dead aren't raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Man, these are serious consequences if Christ hasn't raised from the dead, right? He's saying, if Christ hasn't raised from the dead, this doesn't work. This is a roadblock. Stop. This doesn't work. And I want to look at, going through this passage, I want to look at five consequences. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, then five things happen, all right? Um, First thing. Five consequences if Christ hasn't been raised. First thing is in verse 14 and 15. If Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. And we're even found to be misrepresenting God because we said about God that he raised Christ, whom he didn't raise if it's true that the dead aren't raised. First consequence, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, think about this. He says, our preaching is in vain. What does that mean, in vain? There's a waste. We're wasting our time. That means if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, your pastor is wasting his time. He's wasting his job. He's wasting his career. He's wasting his life. Your youth pastor, what a waste. He's wasting his life. All Christian radio stations, what a waste. All seminaries, what a waste. All Christian books that are written, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, these things are a waste. Think about it. All preaching is a waste. And it even says... Verse 15, we're even, we preachers, are even found to be misrepresenting God. 
Because we said he raised Christ, whom he didn't if Christ hasn't been raised. That means not only is it a waste, but he's saying, but all preachers are liars here. Because we've dedicated our lives to saying, Christ is risen, Christ is risen, Christ is risen, there's hope, there's hope. And he's saying, no, if Christ hasn't been risen from the dead, all preaching is in vain. It's a waste. What a terrible career. Because you're making a living lying to people or tricking people because you believe the lie. All, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, all preaching is a waste. It's in vain. Second thing, second consequence of Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, verse 16 and 17. If the dead aren't raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. That's the second consequence. Not only is preaching a waste, but your faith is a waste. Your faith is futile. It's useless. Yeah, I mean, I love the illustration Brody used on Tuesday morning where he talked about, you know, like the object of your faith matters. We talked about this a bunch, right? The object of your faith matters. Remember he talked about getting hooked up to the jumpy jump versus getting hooked up or, or having an umbrella and hopping off the climbing tower. Or he, he also used the illustration of like you're in the water floating and somebody can throw you a throw bag or a bag full of rocks. And you say, man, the object of your faith matters. What you put your trust in matters. And here Paul's saying, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, you looked for a throw bag and you got a bag full of rocks. You hoped you were hooked into a safe system, but y'all only had an umbrella. Your faith is a waste. You know, it's not just enough for somebody to be like a person of faith. And I just, I just have faith. I'm a spiritual person. The object of our faith really matters. And here Paul's saying, if Christ hasn't been raised, you've got an umbrella. You've got a bag full of rocks. You looked for security. You looked for hope. But you might as well have faith in the mailman to save you. Because if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, your faith is futile because the object of your faith is not worth having trust in. Third thing. This, this part's scary. First thing is your preaching's in vain. Second thing, our faith is futile. Third thing, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, the end of verse 17 says, then you are still in your sins. Oof, that's a big deal, right? If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then we are still in our sins. We're still sinful. Because all of us admit, man, there's something wrong, not just with the world when we see it in the news, but there's something wrong in here. There's something wrong with me, right? And he's saying... If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, you are still in your sins. That would mean, listen, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, that would mean that sin beat Jesus, that death kept Jesus. And so as a result, sin will beat you and death will keep you. Just like, uh, you know, Paul would be beaten by his sins and Moses and David and Peter and your pastor and your parents and you would all be still in your sins. If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. The fourth thing that he mentions here is in verse 18. I'm going to read the verse real quick so I don't misquote it. I'll I'll start back in verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. What does that mean? It's a really nice way to say those who are already dead are in hell. Think about this. If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, everyone for centuries that have put their hope and trust in Christ are not saved. They are in hell or in nothingness, right? If Christ hasn't really been raised from the dead. And Acts 4, 12 will tell us, and there's no hope. There's nobody else coming. 
There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And so if Christ didn't raise from the dead, he said, then the dead are hopeless. They've, they've closed their eyes, hoping to open them in heaven. And they close their eyes in hope. But if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, they open their eyes in hell. It's crazy. If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, preaching is a waste. Your faith is a waste. You're still in your sins. The dead are hopeless. And so he says, as a result, verse 19, if in, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The fifth consequence is we're pitiful. If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, it's not like, you know, you hear some people say, hey, if this has all been a lie, at least I lived a good moral life. At least I lived for something. Paul's saying, nah. If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then people should laugh at you because of the way you lived. It's pitiful. You're to be pitied above all men, above the poor, above the oppressed, above those who've been mistreated, those who've been beaten. People should make fun of you. You're to be pitied. It's the saddest, sorriest situation of all time. People should pass by and be like, man, what a shame. What a shame. They put their faith and hope in Christ. They preach about Christ. They give their money to missions to spread Christ. If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then we, Christians, were to be pitied above all men. That's a serious situation. If the resurrection didn't happen, all of history hinges on the resurrection, right? And then Paul, man, he loves to do this. He loves to build with bad news, bad news, bad news, and then boom, drop in the good news. And look at verse 20. Here's where he turns the corner. If Christ has not been raised, preaching's in vain, faith's in vain, you're still in your sins, there's no hope, the dead are hopeless, and people should make fun of you. It's pitiful. Look at verse 20. But, he turns the corner, but, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And this, y'all, this changes everything. This changes everything for us as believers. The resurrection is absolutely crucial. It's absolutely crucial. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. Now, Paul's already given kind of an apologetic in this whole chapter talking about, we know for a fact that he's appeared. He's, he's shown himself to Peter. He's shown himself to 500. The stones rolled away. The tomb's empty. He appeared to hundreds. The disciples are transformed. And really, the gospel comes to us as a result. He says the resurrection happened. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. What does that mean? The first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. Think about it for a second. Remember, when we're studying through the Bible, we can't just buzz over words and be like, sure. You know, first fruits of those who've fallen asleep, I'm sure that means something nice. Like maybe he's the first one to, what does it mean? Maybe he's the first one to raise from the dead? Is that it? No, it's not because Lazarus, remember he raised Lazarus from the dead. So this isn't saying he's the first one to raise from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. What, what does that mean? All right, well, I didn't know this until I started studying, but, you know, in the Old Testament, there's a feast called the Feast of the First Fruits. It happens in like Leviticus 23, and it actually happens right after the Passover. So really, remember, Christ died right around the Passover, and then the Feast of the First Fruits is next, actually on the day he raised from the dead, the Feast of the First Fruits. So this would be in everybody's mind. But the, the way the first fruits work, it's all about kind of like farming. So I'm no, I'm no farmer at all. Uh, never done any crops or corn or anything like that. But, you know, out here on the four lane, uh, on the, on the highway, 
those of y'all that came from that direction, you saw all that corn. There's tons and tons of corn out there. And if you notice, they plant all that with a, a big, big tractor or seven. And so then all of that corn, if you look, it's so beautiful because it's all about the same height, right? It's just like this ocean of corn. It's really beautiful. And you think about when you plant with a tractor and you plant a large plot of land, all of those plants just go kind of at the same time, right? Everything kind of uniform and level. Well, you think about in this day where there's no tractors, these guys are planting their crops. They didn't plant it all with a huge tractor and it all comes up at the same time. They, you think about it, they're planting it with them and their sons. And so they plant little by little, right? So this day they come out and they plant a couple rows over here. Next week they come out, plant a couple rows. Then they plant a couple rows, plant a couple rows. And it probably take them a long time to get over here to this side of the field and plant this stuff. So when it starts growing up, it probably looks funky, right? It's probably like stair steps where this stuff is springing up and then this stuff and then this stuff and then this stuff. And finally, you know, by the time this stuff over here is growing, they've already cut this stuff down. So the feast of the first fruits is fascinating. The feast of the first fruits, what they do is they would, that God said, all right, whatever springs up first, the very first part of the crops, cut it down and offer it to the Lord. And you got to think this is nerve wracking for a farmer who doesn't know if anything else is coming up, right? You know, oh man, I've got this squash right here, but is the rest of it going to grow? Maybe I could give God the last part so that I'm sure that I'll have something for the winter, you know, like, but God says, cut this first part off, not only as worship to him, but also for faith. But really you think about this part that springs up first, this is the first fruits and the rest of it's coming. The rest of it's going to happen. We live, um, I think I told you before, we live uh, behind the paintball field back there. There's a paintball field and then there's a big field and then there's a, a tree and then our house. And, uh, there's a, we used to have that tree it used to be like two trees in one. It used to be like together. There are two trees kind of intertwined and it was the ugliest thing. I mean, it was super, super ugly. It was like this evergreen kind of spruce looking tree and this other super ugly tree like wrapped around it. And uh, so me and my wife said, man, that is, that's ugly. We need to do something about that. And so I said, let's cut down the big ugly tree and leave the green one. And she said, Nah, I think let's cut down the green one and see what the ugly tree turn, turns into. And I was like, great. All right, let's do that. And so I cut down the green one, which is kind of wrapped around the other one. And when I cut it down, that other tree, the next season started growing. And it started actually getting leaves on and stuff. I was like, hey, you're right. Good job. And so then the next year when I came out, I came out and that tree is bigger and bigger and greener. And it had three tiny little green circles on it. And I thought, what in the world? Because I, again, I'm no farmer. I have no clue what this thing is. And so I did what any of, any of you guys would do. I took one of these circles and put it in my mouth. And I was like, what is this? You know, and so I ate it and I was like, bah! you know that, that uh, when you eat like an acorn or something? All right. Uh, well, you know, like when you, uh, when you bite into something and it like instantly dries out your mouth, you know, it's that really bitter. that's like, Bleh! it was like that. And I thought, oh, Amy, I think, I think this is going to be an apple, not this one, but those, I think this is going to be an apple tree. And she's like, nah. And I was like, yeah, I mean, there's only three of them on here, but maybe that other one was choking it out. And so sure enough, man, the next year there was like 50 of those little green things and they didn't grow very much, but there's like 50 of them. And if you go back there right now, there are hundreds and hundreds of big old apples. It's awesome. You think those, those first little tiny green things, we didn't know what they were, but it was a sign of what's coming. And here, this is saying that Christ is the first fruits. He's the first 
part that's springing up. He's the first one from the dead. And then we are the harvest. You remember that video we showed on Tuesday, the animated video? I mean, I love, I love that video. And the, um, my favorite scene in that video called Dead Come Alive, uh, my favorite scene is when Jesus is kind of flying up out of the air. I didn't get it the first time I watched it. But the scene where it starts talking about the resurrection after, after he's on the cross, uh, they start talking about the resurrection and Jesus is like flying up from the earth and he's looking up like this and he's got in his hands, he's got like these ropes that are light. Y'all remember this scene? He's got these ropes and he's like flying up like this and then it zooms out and it shows this little speck of light and all these ropes coming down to these skeletons and it's dragging them from death to life like this. It's my favorite scene. It's so awesome thinking about, man, when you look at that video, it's like Christ is the first one to go from death to life and he's dragging all of us with him. Man, it's so cool. He's the first fruits and we're the harvest. We're the ones that are coming after. He's the first one to spring up and we're the harvest. We, it's a promise. This is, this is going to happen. He's the first one. Like in Adam, all died. But all those that are in Christ live because he's the first one and we're the harvest. Man, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. The resurrection is the dividing line. Really, it's the hinge. If it didn't happen then we should be, people should feel sorry for us. If it did happen, there's hope and there's life and we are free. I think it's a dividing line though for, for non-Christians and Christians too. Because non-Christians are cool with Jesus as long as we don't say he raised from the dead, right? As long as we don't say he's God, things like that. Non-Christians are cool with a Jesus that said wise things and walked around and did wise things and was a moral teacher, But they are not cool when you start saying he was stone cold dead for three days and rose from the dead because he's God. That is the dividing line for all of history. Christ raised from the dead. Do y'all believe that? Seriously, because it's important. All of your faith, all of your Christianity hinges on Christ raising from the dead. Do you really believe he was dead and rose from the dead? Man, it's, it's huge. You think about it, all of creation preaches and sings the resurrection. Think about it. Why do we have years, like, like seasons of the year? It's cool, right? I love the winter. I love the summer. I love the fall. Spring's okay. It's cool. <laughs> you know, uh, there's not that much to do in the spring. Uh, but like, I mean, I love the seasons of the year. But think about it, why do we have seasons? Every year preaches the resurrection. Do you think about if you you start out in the spring and stuff's just growing a little bit and it's turning green, it's great. And then in the summer, it gets darker green and bigger and bigger. And then in the fall, it starts like getting colder and everything starts turning and dying a little bit. And in the winter, everything's dead, dead, cold, lifeless. And then in the spring, new life every year, death, new life. Death, new life. The creation sings the resurrection. Every year we should be reminded, Christ raised from the dead. Christ raised from the dead. Every day, every day, we live out our day, and then it's dark and cold and night, and then new light. Every morning preaches the resurrection. Darkness and then light. Every year, death and then life. Man, the creation is singing the resurrection to us, man. Every day of every year. Christ raised from the dead. I want to read this passage again. And then what I want to do is I want to reverse it. I want want to look at all these things. I listened to a sermon where a guy just read this and read it in reverse. And it really blew my mind. 
It really changed the way I thought about this passage. So I want to read this passage again and then talk about what happens as a result because Christ raised from the dead. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection from the dead? If there's no resurrection from the dead, not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching's in vain, your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he didn't raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So take all these negatives in this passage, all the things that it said, if he hasn't been raised from the dead, then this is a waste, and this is a waste, and this is a waste, and read it like, but Christ has been raised from the dead. Reverse it. Listen. Christ has been raised from the dead, so we are not to be pitied. We do have hope in the life to come. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ live. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith is powerful. Christ is risen. The dead can be raised. Christ is risen. And we are telling the truth about God that he raised Christ. Your faith is not in vain. Our preaching is true and effective because Christ has been raised. Christ is risen. There is a resurrection from the dead one day, so proclaim it. It's huge when you start talking about what is as a result What is the result of Christ raising from the dead? And at the end of that chapter, man, it's beautiful because he talks about the future. And he says this in verse 55. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's beautiful. Death, where is your sting? Hey, did y'all like the the Revelation skit last night? That's sweet, isn't it? Matt, that skit's awesome. And and one of my favorite parts of that skit is where... uh, they throw Satan into the pit. You know, they got that fiery pit and they throw Satan in there. I mean, it's sweet. I love that part. But you know, funny thing, about three weeks ago, you know, Zach plays Satan, the guy that's, that's leading the music. So he's, he's playing Satan. And about three weeks ago, they go to throw him in the pit during the skit and they do a good job. You know, they toss him in the pit and, but we didn't know, but there was a yellow jacket's nest in the pit. And so we're all, I'm on the good guys team, you know, and so we're all standing there in a line and we see, we see Zach's hand start going like this. And we're going, the heck's he doing? You know, like talking to each other, what's he doing? And he's just like swatting like this and like this. And he said, he said, he, as soon as he fell in, he heard, and he said he, he got stung like 12 or 15 times, but he's trying to lay there and be still. So, I mean, good for him for laying still for that long. You know, like, I couldn't have, yeah, I couldn't have done that at all. I've been like, if it was me in the pit, I'd been like, woo, like hopping out of the pit, you know, a thousand year reigns beginning, or I don't know, you know, however you translate that, but uh, you know, like. I'd have gotten out of there. You know, he said he just pulled his hood over his face to where they couldn't sting him in the face. But he said he could see him like, ding, 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 like this. And he could just feel him stinging him. And he was just thinking, Lord, please let him stop. Just let him, just let him quit. Just make him stop. Don't let me die. You know, just don't let me die. And, you know, what's crazy is the word here is like a bee sting. It's the same word the Greeks would use for a bee sting. Oh, death, where is your sting? The same word for a bee sting or a snake bite. Death, where is your sting? It's crazy. You know, I think about, you know, Zach getting stung with yellow jackets. The thing that bothers me the most about being stung by a yellow jacket is that they don't die. You know what I mean? Like uh, honeybees or something like that, if they sting you, you're like, go! 
I'm going to watch you die. You know, like, just going to stop hurting in a minute, but you're in torture right now. And then they slowly die, and you're like, yes. And the yellow jacket stings, and you're like, I'm going to watch you. Ow! You know, they sting you again. And they can just keep on rolling. You know, that's the worst part about getting stung by a yellow jacket, is they just keep on going as long as they want to. And, you know, I think about when you read this verse, it's that word for sting. And it says, death, where is your sting? The crazy thing is it doesn't say, death, what is your sting? Because it it tells us what the sting of death is in the next verse. If you look in verse 56, it says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But verse 55 asks us, Death, where is your sting? Where, for us, where is the sting of death? It's gone. Jesus absorbed it. Jesus became sin for us, and that bee has died, right? That bee has died, never to sting again. The sting of sin, I'm sorry, the sting of death is sin, and Christ became sin for us. The power of sin is the law, and Christ fulfilled the law. He absorbed the wrath of God. He died, but death couldn't hold him. Death couldn't hold him, and he triumphed over death so that in the future we can say, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? So, turn in the corner here. On a practical side, because Christ took the sting of sin and defeated death, your life and my life should be different. They should be different because of the resurrection. And that's how he ends the chapter, verse 58. Verse 58. He says, therefore. Now, y'all know, whenever you see a therefore, you got to ask, what's the therefore, therefore, right? So, like, he's been, he's been saying all this this whole chapter, and he's saying, therefore, because Christ has defeated death because Christ has been raised. And because we have hope, he's fixing to tell us something to do. All right. Because Christ has been raised. The thing we've been preaching about all week long, the resurrection, because he's been raised, he says, my beloved brothers, this is to us. Be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. What does that mean? Because Christ has been raised from the dead, be secure, stay on target, be steadfast, be immovable, don't move, don't waver, you have hope. And he says, always be abounding in the work of the Lord. This word for abounding is the word for like overflowing or bubbling up or too much. He's saying, be abounding, be overdoing it in the work of the Lord. Because, he says, you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is one last thing in the chapter that's not a waste. Preaching's not a waste. Faith is not a waste. And here he says, your work is not a waste. So be bubbling over. Be overflowing in the work of the Lord. Be, over, be overdoing it. Be overdoing it in the work of the Lord. In telling people in your school about Christ. Be overflowing in pursuing the Lord in Bible study. Be overflowing in living a life that's characterized by hope. And trust in Christ. Be overflowing in the way that you speak to your parents. Be overflowing in telling the gospel to your family members that don't believe. Be overdoing it because, be abounding in the work of the Lord because Christ has been raised from the dead. It should make all the difference in our lives because Christ rose from the dead. We're going to talk about that more tonight. About your life and living for the people that are lost to the ends of the earth. Let me read this last bit and then we'll close. If the resurrection didn't happen, listen to this. Don't start putting stuff up. If the resurrection didn't happen, living for Christ would be wasting your life. If the resurrection never happened, then living for Christ would be wasting your life. But since the resurrection did happen, living for anything else would be a waste. 
If the resurrection never happened, living for Jesus would be a waste. But since it did happen, living for anything else but Christ would be wasting your life. Don't waste it. Be abounding in the work of the Lord because He's risen from the dead. Let's pray. Jesus, we love You. We thank You that You've risen from the dead, that You have beaten death, that You've uh, absorbed the wrath of God, that You have uh, become sin for us, that You've satisfied the law. And God, I pray we live differently as a result. I pray for these guys that this last day would be uh, practical for them to be able to um, share the gospel to be able to articulate the gospel of why the resurrection is so important. I pray that in our minds that your resurrection would be uh, of utmost importance, God. And I, I pray that, um, that it would make a difference. And that we have the, the same power that raised you from the dead living inside of us by the Spirit. And I pray that our lives would be different. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.